So, Hallie Toe, hello, and welcome to this podcast from the Native Learning Center. We're here today to talk about a very important issue that's affecting Indian country, and that is Indigenous women in leadership roles, and what is it that led them to those uh, positions, and how they were able to become so successful. And so today we're joined with Brandy Liberty and Georgette Palmer-Smith, and I want to introduce them to you. Uh, so Brandy is the owner of Morningstar Consulting, then provides grant writing and training consulting services for tribes, tribal businesses, and nonprofit organizations. She has almost 10 years of experience working in Indian country. Her specialties include human resource, grant writing, grants management, tribal housing technical assistance, tribal government technical assistance, tribal economic development planning, low-income tax credit housing, asset management, Indian housing, policy development, compliance, and training. Brandy graduated from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln with a BA in history. She holds a master's from the Center of Indigenous Nation Studies at the University of Kansas, where her focus was on tribal human resources. Brandy's an enrolled member of the Iowa Tribe of Kansas and Nebraska and a descendant of the United Huma Nation in southern Louisiana. Georgette Palmer-Smith is the executive director, as many of you may know, for the Seminole Tribe of Florida's Native Learning Center. She's a member of the Kiowa tribe of Oklahoma and a Choctaw descendant. In 2010, she joined the team as Director of Administrative Services Program Director for the Native Learning Center. The NLC provides tuition-free training that achieves the primary objectives of NAHASDA. She also serves as President of Seminole Taft Street Properties, LLC, and 6365 Taft, LLC for the Seminole Tribe of Florida. Georgette came to the Native Learning Center from Tampa, where she was Director of Member Engagement, overseeing the membership conferences, communication marketing departments for BICSI. She has served as Director of the Forum and Conference Services for the University of Oklahoma and Director of Meetings for the American Society for Therapeutic Radiology and Oncology. In the early 1990s, Georgette began her career as Director of Convention Services for the National Congress of American Indians in Washington, D.C. During her tenure there, she was assigned as the White House Logistical Coordinator representing NCAI for the historic meeting between President Bill Clinton and all 545 tribal leaders at the White House on April 19, 1994. So welcome, Brandy and Georgette. <laughs> We got a whole lot of Big 12 going on here. <laughs> <laughs> and my background is Oklahoma State, so there we go. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I've got a Heisman winner and I moved on to the SEC, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. You got it. Well, really appreciate you guys joining us. I really feel like women in leadership is, is something that is talked about a lot outside of Indian country, but we don't see a lot of focus on it inside. And so I really want to find out kind of what led you to your careers in Indian country. So let's, Georgette, we'll start with you. Was was there a specific event or calling that sort of led to your current leadership role? No, I come from a, a very large Kiowa family back home, grew up around Cash and uh, Anadarko areas. And one of the things that I know that I, back in the day, I don't know if it said so much this day and age, but I know back in the day, 
you know, your, your parents and your, your aunties and your uncles and your grandparents always said, go get your education and then come back and help your, you know, help your people, help your tribe. So that's one of the things that stuck in my mind. I went to uh, University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma and obtained my bachelor's degree in 1980. And one of the things that I did when I got out of college is I went and worked for the Kiowa tribe. <laughs> and uh, okay. I was the um, director for the Administration on Aging program. So I ran the Elder Center, which was nothing but pure joy, just so much joy working, you know, with and for our elders. And, you know, I didn't take any grant writing classes whenever I was in college, but I soon learned how to write a grant and how (laughs) to look for more money, you know, for our programs because, you know, I and I still hear that there's like, uh, you know, that particular funding, the AOA program is always getting cut and cut and cut and cut. And it's, you know, that's been going on since since as long as I've Mm -hmm. known it. So that, that was that was my first job that was out of college and uh, where I learned how, you know, what goes on Indian country and with federal funding. And and then I came full circle and um, now I'm working for the Seminole tribe. In between that time period, I worked for non-Indian programs and mostly nonprofits and associations. So that's how I got started in in working in Indian country. And it's just, it's always a joy to be able to give back to your communities, to your tribe, and above all, your Indian people. So I think I am fulfilling, even though I don't work for my tribe, I am fulfilling kind of what my, you know, my father set Mm -hmm. out for me. That's great. That's a really remarkable story, and uh, definitely, you are definitely giving back to all of Indian country, um, just with the oversight of, of what you do, so we sure appreciate that. It's interesting that, so Georgette said she didn't have a lot of formal experience with grant writing, and uh, I think Brandy, one of her, one of her, your uh, uh, <laughs> your sort of showcase is grant writing, and you've got a big announcement that you just found out about, right? I did. I did. You want to um, tell everybody about uh, that? One of my, sure, sure. One of my clients um, that I have worked for um, for years of uh, the North America Housing Authority, um, I worked with them as their HR director and their development officer for about three years before I moved on to start my own business and um, went on to use that became their consultant. And we were all just awarded uh, $5 million from HUD under the IHBG competitive grant to build a new elderly complex, actually the first elderly complex um, of this capacity for the Ponca tribe of Nebraska. Yay. Congratulations. Yes. Thanks. That is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) That is awesome. Uh, So, so interestingly enough, Georgette said she didn't have a lot of formal experience with writing grants. Did you have formal training experience or how did, what led to you being in the role that you're in? Well, um, really, 
I've always had an interest in in working in Indian country. I did not grow up um, on a reservation or even near a reservation. I grew up here in New Orleans, but my grandmother, who's a, uh, a member of the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, said, um, which I'm a member of, she, you know, made sure to instill in us, you know, our tribal heritage and, um, you know, keep us informed. So when we were visiting Nebraska as kids, she, you know, made sure to make sure we were going to the reservation and being educated on, you know, all of the different culture and values of our tribe. During my undergrad degree at the University of Nebraska, I took a lot of classes in history. I was a history major as well as a Native American studies minor. Um, and I knew, you know, I wanted to do something with that. Um, initially, I had wanted to go to uh, law school. So I applied at KU um, into one of their Indigenous Nation Studies graduate school program. And instead of taking the law school track and doing kind of a dual degree, I decided to focus on human resources. And through my graduate degree program, I took some of the grant writing courses there, which is when I started writing just small grants for my tribe. Actually, the first large grant I ever received that I assisted in was to, during the ARA time, those grants were being given out where I assisted the tribe in getting funding to get broadband on the reservation for the first time. And so... I really knew, you know, that that's something I wanted to do. And so I continued on for years just writing under my tribe. When I did get hired on later from the Northern Paca Housing Authority, I kind of expanded out from there um, in working, you know, with the, the Ponca people within that housing role. And uh, just a few years ago, about three years ago, I had decided, you know, I really want to do this for a living. I really want to get out there and work across Indian country, you know, and, and expand my horizons. And so, you know, I started doing that on the on the uh, grant writing side. And from there, I actually kind of, I feel like fell into the laps of Native Learning Center by attending <laughs> one of their grant management courses and really got interested in wanting to become a training and technical assistance provider as well. And so between my expertise in housing and in, in grant writing and things like that, you know, we kind of, I feel like formed a team, you know, where um, I do, you know, similar to what you do, Jack, and, um, you know, go out there and, you know, work with it across Indian country and providing them a variety of different training and technical assistance with human resources, grant writing, procurement, grants management, kind of the jack of all trades, <laughs> master of some. <laughs> That's awesome. You can have HR all day long. <laughs> I, I love it. That was my, I, you know, when I thought about going to law school, I'm like, okay, what can I do that's like the law, but I don't have to practice that every day. And so that's why I chose the human resources side. I still have to, and, and, and housing too, I still have to deal with government regulations and kind of follow what the law mm -hmm. says and mm -hmm. teach that to other individuals, but I'm doing it a different capacity. <laughs> right, right. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Tell us, and we'll just, since we're with you, Brandy, we'll let you start. So as a, as a woman in a leadership role in Indian country, what's, what's one of the biggest challenges you faced in your career? Well, for me, you know, not only am I a female in leadership in a leadership position, but I'm also a single mom. And so being able to juggle the complete household plus professional life, you know, that I have, you know, being able to travel and finding childcare for my kids, you know, being able to be, be that, you know, sole provider in, you know, 
20% capacity has been kind of the largest part. You know, over time, you know, I've kind of gotten into a routine, but in the beginning, trying to, you know, work with clients that understand that one, I either may have to bring my children with me, um, which, which is great. You know, I haven't really had a lot of difficulty with letting clients know that in Indian country, but, you know, also being able to, you know, get enough funding in, um, you know, revenue in, I should say, for myself in order to kind of expand where I want to be. Um, and so that's, for me, that's been one of the largest obstacles. It's not been so much, you know, dealing day to day with leadership and things like that. I've really kind of overcome that. And I have I've found even at times it's, it's easier to kind of work with tribal councils and from other tribes versus my own sometimes <laughs> um, because, you know, and, and although um, I think one advantage that I've even heard from some of the more non-native consultants that do similar to me, you know, I, I kind of have that advantage as being a Native American that I'm able to kind of get in front of them a little bit easier where they are more willing to listen versus um, some of the not my non-native peers that um, do, you know, similar tasks. Georgette, what about you? What do you? What's one of the biggest obstacles you faced? Well, I know presently. I know since I've been with the Seminole tribe, I've been blessed that you know I, I haven't had any obstacles. We, you know, we set out the plans that we want to do, and we have the support, you know, of uh, of our leadership. So, you know, it, it's it's definitely a a blessing. Maybe years and years and years and years and years ago, you know, you have council and you have, you know, depending upon who your funder is and things like that, um, those tend to be uh, obstacles and so forth on a professional level. On on a personal level, I am, you know, I'm I'm considered an elder now. Uh, <laughs> Never. I just the realization of that. You know, when when our tribes start handing out elder checks, then you know that you're an official elder. <laughs> so I've got like I've got one more year, and I guess I officially become an elder because I'll get an elder check next December. Uh, and I'm looking at you know maybe about five or six more years of before I retire. So I I just look at everything as as a blessing. And you know if there were obstacles, I'm blessed that I overcame those obstacles to put me in a position to work here with a wonderful staff, the best, the best staff anybody can imagine, a, a very wonderful tribe that believes in us and believes in the work that we do and, and is very supportive. So I would rather say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm truly blessed. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I think both of you speaking from that, I mean, I know that there's, there's challenges that you faced and, you know, Brandy being a single mom, that sounds like it would have been, you know, definitely a, a tough struggle because I think what we do is very similar and, and I can't imagine, you know, I mean, I have just dogs that I have to figure out what to do with. So <laughs> I don't have kids that I have to figure out how to know. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's that's tough. That's tough. So, so it, kind of circling back around, because, you know, we all are very passionate about housing needs among Native Americans. And, and obviously, the, the funding that we have is, is critical to, to helping solve some of those challenges. 
What do you feel like are some of the biggest obstacles that are facing the housing needs of Native Americans today? And I'll let either one of you take it. There's quite a bit. (laughs) Uh, And I think in addition to funding, like you said, and infrastructure and, you know, being able to leverage, I think what I'm seeing is stability in the actual personnel. I Mm. think you get somebody in there that Mm -hmm. is a phenomenal executive director and great leadership qualities and, you know, ecstatic about going after and leveraging funds. And then, you know, they don't see eye to eye with the commissioners or the board of directors. And when that happens, it ultimately drains the morale of all the employees. And and it's not just on the leadership side. I mean, I've seen some housing programs where they got rid of everybody and had to start new. And some of these these individuals were not experienced. They, you know, and so kind of that's where we come in and we help train them or we send Brandy in there to train them and to set up and develop their, their staff offices. So in addition to, yeah, funding's important, but you've got to have those leadership roles to go after that funding because we can't just keep depending on IHBG and what that allocation is year after year after year after year. We have to start looking at other funding resources to leverage those funds to do things, you know, on a on a bigger scale with mm-hmm. with housing tax credits, new market tax credits, you know, other other funding sources. So I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say that it's it's staffing it is, is a huge, a huge obstacle for a lot of a lot of yeah, there's how many, many, many housing needs out there. But if you don't have that um, solid staff and board relationship or commissioner's relationship or with the council if you're a tribal department then you you don't have the leadership to move forward that housing authority into what those tribes need I, I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, capacity is one of the largest things. And I think that's part of the reason why under, you know, a lot of the HUD grants, the one of the first areas that they have you explain in any of those green applications is your capacity in recent and relevant experience to make these projects happen. And, you know, that is the first thing they look at before you even get to, you know, write, finish your, before they finish reading your application on your actual need component or even your project itself. And so, you know, obviously HUD, I believe, you know, sees it that way as well. You know, I have worked with so many different tribes from some of the, you know, the best housing authorities to, you know, some that could probably use a a little assistance in in the nuances that come, you know, across the board, you know, uh, Indian country does face a face a lot of those nuances where, you know, there's sometimes a lot of disconnect between tribal council and housing authorities and things like that. Um, tribal councils, you know, if they are, you know, have delegated a housing authority to be a TDHE, they're so far disconnected from what the needs are, uh, the housing needs are, you know, per se of their community because the TDHD is handling all of that information. They don't understand what is needed for grants and, and, and things like that. And, and some grant opportunities like the Indian Community Development Block Grant, which is 
a huge housing grant um, that comes out each year and it is highly competitive. Uh, oftentimes, tribes will go ahead and apply for that and not allow their housing authorities to do that for economic development and, and things like that, whereas the housing may need it for new construction and rehab. And a lot of it is because, you know, there's that lack of understanding that, you know, of what HUD's priorities are for that particular grant application. And and, and they may not understand what the, the full needs are, you know, that the housing authority has determined to meet those goals. In addition to that, you know, just having, like Gigi said, that understanding between the different entities of the tribes and the boards and things like that, um, and, and your staff as a whole, you know, there are those, you know, I, I think we've seen it for a long time in Indian country that, you know, take a position because they're a tribal member, um, they come in really to just get a paycheck. They're not there for, you know, to be passionate about what they do. And so they're not willing to get that professional development to move forward um, and gain a greater understanding of Nahasda and grant management and procurement and things like that, you know, which you need. And so when that happens, obviously you start seeing things like audit findings and mismanagement of funds and things and, and those sorts of things start happening, which then, you know, create another obstacle to being able to apply for future housing opportunities. And so, yes, you know, there's always a need for housing, you know, whether it's in Indian country, whether it's in, you know, urban and rural America, that that's always going to be there. But, you, you know, you need the capacity of leadership in order to meet those obstacles and, and work for them, you know, head on. That's good stuff. And, you know, I think both of you speak to one of the, the trends that we've seen, and that is so many times a tribal member, you know, we're trying to hire within the tribe. And so as we bring people into those positions, they may work really, really hard, but they don't have a background and they don't have formal training in leadership. And so, so many times you see the people that work hard get promoted into those higher roles, but they don't, they're not trained for it. You know, they don't have the leadership and the management competencies right. that come along with those roles. And I think that it does make it difficult because it sort of sets them up for failure if they just throw them into that role and, you know, they don't realize that there's another skill set <laughs> that you've got to have to be a manager as opposed right. to a sort of a specialist, if you will. So, mm -hmm. yeah, right. good right. stuff. Good stuff. I, and I think it's just, you know, it's something you see across the board that that's just a problem that. Uh, is is difficult to face, and hopefully somebody will figure out the solution and write a book, right? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and, and I, I do feel like I, uh, you know, I'm one of those people, individuals too, that when I am out there working with, uh, you know, TDHEs, I always make sure that they are at least doing their part in inviting their board of commissioners and their tribal councils to these trainings mm -hmm. and things like that and, and try to emphasize, you know, the importance of them being there and having this understanding. And I am the first when down the road, there's always someone that will say, well, we didn't know that was a thing. Well, if you would have been to my <laughs> training with that I had on such and such a date, you would have found this out and had a better understanding of it. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, so as we as we talk about all of these, this sort of background, so, you know, let's say that there are women out there right now that are interested in pursuing or they really want to become leaders in housing in Indian country. What advice, Brandy, would you give to them? 
my advice would be, you know, number one, to work hard. Um, you know, first and foremost, get that education. You know, go to school. You know, get get those skill sets that you need to be able to be a, a good native businesswoman. You know, and from there, you know, learn and understand the regulations, the the laws, and the uh, statutes that go under Nahasda as you're working for that. You know, do some grant writing activities. Um, you know, go out in Indian country and meet tribal other tribal leaders. You know, for me. It's always been, you know, working with other tribal leaders such as Georgette and, you know, my grandmother and other, you know, Native women has always Mm -hmm. given me kind of that, that go to want to move forward and meet their expectations and, you know, maybe someday become someone like them. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned skill sets in there. So you, you say work hard, get educated, and then you mentioned skill sets. And so as trainers, you know, competencies are always at the top of my list. You know, what what competencies do you feel like are needed to be successful? And so I, it sounds to me like I've heard integrity, obviously. Absolutely. Having what, ethical, you know, integrity mm-hmm. and, and good ethical, being ethical, I guess you can say, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as well as just, um, you know, good speaking skills. You can be a shy, timid person, but still be a good leader. You know, Mm -hmm. knowing what your strengths are and using those to your advantage, I think is important. Not being afraid to speak up and, you know, on things that you're passionate about. You know, for someone like me, you know, I'm a little, you know, might be a little more shy and less likely to speak up on more personal things. But professionally, I have, I feel like I just myself have come a long way. And I have, you know, realized very early on that if I don't speak up, you know, one, I'm doing my clients a disservice. And two, it's brought me, you know, kind of full circle and and helped me also personally, you know, to kind of be a little bit more assertive as well. Good, good. Georgette, what about you? What advice would you give? Well, definitely everything Brandy said, most definitely. I think it's important, you know, we talked about skill sets, to be a skilled grant writer mm-hmm. and to go above and, and beyond in learning how to write that grant, to write any grants, you know, budgeting is a part of that, you know, so you've got to really hone in on those skills. I think what's important, uh, you know, if you're going to take a leadership role in housing, let's take low-income Indian housing out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Let's think about true home ownership. Be the type of leader that advocates for home ownership, whether, you know, they're using a, a 184 or a CDFI, you know, learn about all of those aspects to teach your tribal members true home ownership where they can own their home anywhere that they want to. And that starts with financial literacy, financial awareness, and learning more about how important your credit score is, how important your savings account is, your debt to ratio, learning about all of that. Because when you have housing leadership and, you know, it's just the paperwork and, okay, so they paid their rent and we conveyed this house and so forth, try to bring more to that housing authority to that uh, housing department. So I think that's really important. And above all, learn good communication skills. Because if you're able to, you have to you have to talk to your tenants, to your homeowners, 
being able to communicate with your staff, communication is key, and then to communicate with tribal leaders. And then above all of that, you should be able to communicate effectively with your ONAP office, the Office of Native American Programs with HUD. Keep good record keeping, attention to detail. I'm telling you right now, the the performance review that ONAP puts you through is no joke. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are a lot of the skills that you have to bring to the table. Right. And put your housing program on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to, you know, let you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of my clients know that, you know, a lot of them complain about the regulations and statutes and things like that under HUD and being so structured and strict. But, you know, I have found that I would rather work with a very structured federal agency than those that may not check on your reporting for three years and you, you know, allow you to fall so far behind because there isn't that mm-hmm. checks and balances. And I feel like that is why Indian housing has been able to move as move forward and progress um, and get more, you know, tribes have been able to have some more self-sufficiency when it comes to housing because of those strict regulations. Um, you know, a lot of times tribal council leaders will complain because of, you know, different things that maybe their tribal citizens can't do as, as housing is, you know, because of the restrictions within housing. However, you know, the hindsight of it, that is, it's restricted for a reason. It's, you know, to help us better ourselves, not, you know, become, you know, the way many tribes were, you know, in the 70s and 80s, where, you know, things were just kind of chaos and crazy, and you never knew who was getting a house or when they were getting a house or... (laughs) That is Nahasda, self-determination. So Mm -hmm. to be a leader, think about that. Think about the importance of self-determination. Just that's true leadership right there because that that'll that'll pave the way mm-hmm. for your career for your tribe for your you know your your participants mm-hmm. you know for the homeowners for the leadership is just think about that self determination and how important that is and do the right thing mm-hmm. absolutely well i i think the the last question i have for you really sort of hones in now on so where do they start so they're interested, they want a leader, they've decided that they, they have a calling, they feel drawn to, to leadership in tribal housing. Where do they start? Do they have to have a four-year degree? Where can they find training to learn more? Uh, you know, in my opinion, Native Learning Center is a great place to start. They're free mm-hmm. trainings um, that they can mm-hmm. begin watching online to learn a little bit more, you know, and from there, you know, also just working within your tribe's housing authorities, you know, taking those, you know, positions, um, you know, and accounts receivable or emissions and occupancy and, and things like that and, and working your way up. Okay. So experience. Okay. And do your research. So if there is a position that you are really interested in, do your research, review ONAP's webpage, which is called Code Talk. Anything and everything you want to know about Nahasda, IHBG, Indian housing, the reasons, everything is on Code Talk. So if you just Google ONAP Code Talk, it'll take you right there. And that's the important thing is to know uh, and learn and be familiar 
with all the federal regulations. There's public and and in housing notices on there, which that's what Washington sends out that updates Mm -hmm. uh, everybody on anything that has uh, changes as far as like Indian housing is is concerned. And then if you're really interested in finding that position, I would suggest going on, of course, you know, your own tribe's uh, website. But I have noticed that there are a lot of Indian housing positions that are on Indians.com. That's with a Z, Indians. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, an Indian country today also has uh, really good job listings. So, I, you know, I, like I said, with my, my career, my career choice after I left tribal government was actually I became a professional meeting planner and <laughs> for uh, NCAI as a uh, director of um, convention services and planning their, their conferences, conventions and trainings and meetings. And so I did that for like 25 years and, and um, I had never been in housing before. And even though, you know, we were a model activity under IHBG uh, in that we provide training to housing authorities and housing departments, um, but still it is all a federal grant from HUD, which is IHBG funds. So I still had to learn it. And I had to learn everything about this this federal agency, about the federal programming, uh, every aspect of it. So if I can do it, you can do it. Yep. I completely agree. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's awesome. Great, great advice. And, um, you know, I really appreciate both of you being willing to open up and just talk about your past and, you know, sort of what led you to um, your calling, um, because I think you're both a true inspiration to leaders um, across across the country. And I, I think I would I'd just like to sort of round it up with I, I have a, a leadership mentor or sage, if you will. Um, I would love for her to be my mentor, but I don't, I think she's kind of out of the business. When I looked her up the other day, I think she's 103 now. Um, her, her name is oh, Frances wow. Hesselbein, and she was the former uh, president and CEO of Girl Scouts of the USA. And she has a book out there, and it's it's a very short read, but you can go to Amazon and order it for like $2. But her definition of leadership, and I really think it fits this whole conversation, is leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. And she talks about mm-hmm. how, exactly. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, in, it's internal, it's, it becomes part of who you are, and, and, it, and, it, and so that really is the definition of leadership. We spend all this time teaching this is how to do things, and it's not necessarily, that's not really leadership holistically. Uh, leadership is really, you know, a matter of how to be. So I really appreciate you. I think that fits both of you to a T, and I think that you're such an inspiration to Indian country. So really appreciate you joining us today, and um, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in, and until next time, don't forget to check out all of the upcoming events at the Native Learning Center. You all have a great Thank day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys, for listening on this week's podcast. We really do appreciate it, and we hope to connect with you all real soon. Bye now.